you're listening to the hybrid cloud forecast series with host andre tost all right welcome thanks for joining and uh, welcome to the next episode of the hybrid cloud forecast podcast Today, I'm happy to welcome Maya Vukovic to join us. Maya is, as everyone else on this show so far, at least anyway, an IBM fellow. She works in research. She is working on hybrid cloud-related things, so we'll get to the depth of all of that. Welcome. Glad to have you here, Maya. Thanks, Andrew. It's a great uh, honor and opportunity to be on this podcast and to share some of our work in this space. And, and and thinking as well. All right, cool. So we always start out with introductions. You could tell us a bit about your professional background, how you got to be where you are today. Sounds good. I've been at IBM for quite a number of years, which means that it kept me very busy and very engaged. I actually started at IBM even during my PhD days. So I was doing a parallel thing with my PhD studies at Cambridge, and I was also a pre-doctoral researcher at IBM Zurich Research Lab in Switzerland, which sort of gave me this first insight into not just technology transfer, but also into understanding things from the client's perspective. And I think that has sort of shaped my journey at IBM. My career at IBM Research kicked off after my internship at IBM TJ Watson Research Center, just as IBM Research was forming the IBM Services Research Pillar. And I was sort of invited to join in and I started looking into service management applications, early, early, very early applications of AI uh, to service management, which evolved over the time, started looking into some topics such as crowdsourcing, which I feel it's very much still relevant. Uh, it was motivated by challenges of how do you map applications to the hosting infrastructure, right? Where you have multiple teams knowing a little bit different aspects of each, each application, like from business perspective or from the technical perspective. So we explored use of back then social networks and crowdsourcing to gather that knowledge because that knowledge was sort of dispersed amongst the experts, right, in the company. Then I sort of shifted areas. I think it's, and you will see towards the end, it all comes together uh, to where I am today, uh, work on API economy, looking into APification, sort of how do we bring in that view of APIs, looking into also defining a means of externalizing uh, TNCs for APIs, which was a sort of an interesting premise. Then I started focusing uh, service management aspects, so specifically looking into applications of AI to service requests automation, understanding mining this knowledge from the tickets and looking into how we automate. And then sort of started in parallel looking into migration and modernization, I think, which is sort of very relevant to the topic today. Back then, looking into more VM type of migration, but tapping into starting with the early discussions, are customers really going to rewrite applications? Are we going to automatically refactor them? There was some early, early thinking back then and we explored a few things to have these things sort of graduate over the time, right? And shape sort of my role as it is today, looking into technical and research strategy for application and data modernization as the clients uh, consider their evolution, the partly <laughs> uh, defined by the journey, journey to cloud. Okay. You've mentioned a number of things I want to poke a little more on, but before we do, let's tie it back to hybrid cloud, maybe starting out with your definition of what hybrid cloud is. And I always ask, if we were stuck in an elevator together for a couple of minutes, how would you explain to me what the hybrid cloud is for you? The way I define hybrid cloud is really how do you optimize your application and infrastructure footprint between the on-prem, private, public, and other types of environments. I think we often talk about it from the technology perspective, but they look at it 
is really more from the sort of digital transformation. So as you're shaping your business, how do you need to optimize the underlying IT infrastructure is uh, sort of defined across the multiple landing zones, if you wish. Okay. And I, I, and I keep saying there's somewhat of a repeating theme here, which, which makes perfect sense. That starts out with hybrid cloud as a notion of location, right? And what drives location is efficiency, sometimes just cost savings, just saying, you know, if I run it there, it will be cheaper than if I run it here, so, so to speak, right? I feel like earlier customer conversations I've had, sometimes it was this idea of saying, we're shifting everything to the cloud and we're not going to really touch it and it's going to save us a ton of money. And that's not a bad goal to have, obviously, but that's not how necessarily how it works. And that's when you get into this whole idea of, do I need to touch my applications? Do I need to refactor them to make them run in these environments? And one buzzword that I wonder if you had some thoughts on this, this idea of being cloud native, what that means really is like, how can I make my application cloud native? And sometimes I hear things where people say, well, cloud native is when it uses microservices. I don't know if that necessarily makes any sense. So, so, so how would you tie that into this whole idea of, okay, hybrid cloud is about running things in all kinds of places. But then how do I make a cloud native as I go into this world? The way I look at it is really about how do you define your functional computational unit so that it's kind of can be easily modularly managed and you can also continuously expand the new capabilities around the application. So back to your points, like some folks considering just moving maybe to the cloud just for the sake of it, right? So things around there may be cheaper. So the way I th- think about it, it's, it's really about the physical, not just philosophy, but also the methodology about building applications. How do you define the sort of minimal functional computational units, right, upon which you can expand as you're evolving the application? And I think sometimes we often forget, we look at it from the IT perspective, but there is a whole overarching business layer. There is a business process, there is a business function that all these cloud native functions are capturing and running ultimately, right, as part of some business mission-critical workload. Another thing that I wanted to tie in, like you, you mentioned, uh, clients moving just for the sake of the cost reduction. I think we're definitely seeing clients exploring the sort of cloud native environments. Maybe some are just doing the, the basic lift and shift, but a lot of the net new development, right, is happening and, and experimentation is happening in this cloud native notion, which is kind of, I guess, why we are today. I think the question then becomes, how do you tie this into play and interoperate and kind of how to enable coexistence with what you have in other environments in other kind of let's say under other landing zones like on-prem or in other areas what still rings in my ear is that i talked to a, a team at a large bank one of the global banks right and they were saying yeah we want to go to the cloud and we want to modernize and we looked at our applications and there was literally thousands of them, right? And I think sometimes what we need to keep in mind is that there, there are thousands of applications, in, at least in some of these larger enterprises. And they go, what am I going to do with that, right? And then they said, okay, we were trying to move this and we're trying to isolate individual technologies that we maybe could move. But then we found uh, the need to untangle it all baffling, right? Because they said, we then found that everything depends on everything and it became a big spaghetti ball. And they said, now we're looking at that. We don't know where to even start. Some good points there. So I think before you even get considered at untangling, right, there is a whole lot of, 
I, I would say, work and, and discussions to be held even about what should be even refactored or re-architectured. Maybe some things retain as they are, some are replaced by software as a service if they are not a core business function. But when it comes to untangling with some of the capabilities we are building in, in research applying AI for code, we are looking into even how can we help you untangle or how can we un- understand what are the business functions represented in the code. I think data gravity or, or this entanglement is, is a key challenge, especially when you see how much code and data is interleaved. And as you consider refactoring or re-architecting, often the application and data they don't go hand in hand. I mean, they do go hand in hand, but when it comes to modernization itself, sometimes it's data-led, sometimes it's application-led. So we are looking into how to do that entanglement, how to understand, even if you cannot necessarily, you're saying, okay, we can scrape off all the code, but even in those scenarios, how AI is being more applied to code nowadays, we can help teams understand what is this business domain or what is the logic represented there? Because some customers opt like, okay, we are going to start rewriting. Sometimes even the refactoring capabilities can offer you sort of a workbench where you can play around even with that entangled code. Like how would things look like and feel in that target, right? What would be the business function meaningful components, right? That you can then aim to develop and, and deploy as microservices. Okay. I keep wondering kind of how you declare success anyway, right? Is success if I've successfully separated stateful and stateless components, if I have introduced this notion of microservices? To me, microservices have value because they're somewhat autonomous, right? I can scale them independently, for example, right? And I can also make them resilient. And and so that that increases or improves the resilience of my overall application. But uh, it's just fresh in my mind because we just had a conversation about how many microservices are a good thing, you know, where where should I land with all this? And ultimately, can it be automated, right? How do I how do I go about this? So I don't know, I'm still wondering if I'm a big company, I said I have 5000 applications running all in virtual machines, including the databases and so forth, right? Where do I start? How do I go about doing this? Do I pick the easy ones? Do I pick the hard ones? Any kind of experience you could share with that? Yeah, there are two, two parts to this question. I think uh, often we kind of think about technology first. We are, I think part of this whole journey, modernization journey, is also the modernization, also of the development process, right? Turn into the DevOps. And, and that seems to me uh, an opportunity to elevate that thinking. It's, it's Let's assume that it's very easy to refactor an application to microservices. But how would this map into the cultural change in the organization to shift to that DevOps-oriented work and who is responsible for each microservice? And I think that's one aspect that is still evolving. But I find that personally, like we talk a lot about technology, but not necessarily thinking about the, the teams who are going to take over those microservices and evolve them. From some of the experiences in refactoring that we had, we worked on the large automotive application where with the over a million lines of code, it's something that the teams were trying to refactor in a manual way. And we started looking into understanding how the application behaves both at the runtime and uh, and looking into more metadata from the structural application perspective to recommend what are the microservices. There was your question like, oh, can we really see this fully automated? I think I still believe in a strongly in the role of a human. I think you need architects and developers who are familiar with those applications. They may no longer be necessarily around, but there are people who, who know these applications who can then help inform the decisions being made of what is the right set of meaningful applications? And 
Interestingly enough, I also want to add here that the synced AI technology that we are using to recommend how to partition applications, we are also seeing some interesting use cases emerging now, even when there is a net new development of microservices. Can we use this now to validate the quality of these newly built microservices? As, as you pointed out, are they really so nicely contained and easily scalable? So I feel there is a, a lot of opportunity to explore there. How do you define that microservices quality? I think we had a lot of discussion you know, if, if there was like a, a checklist, somebody could easily build a solution today that automates everything. But even if you start building from scratch, right, there is no way to automatically validate it. Yeah, this is the really ideal microservice because the way you, I think about, I don't know, account management service versus you, things will probably be hopefully 70 to 80% aligned, but uh, that is also still very subjective. So, so that's kind of my thinking. And, and data, right? I always feel like whenever I read little pieces on here's how you do things in the cloud, you know, state state is mostly being ignored. And I'm thinking, like, wouldn't it be nice if everything would be stateless and then I can infinitely scale it? And even I would include, you know, serverless. I'm starting to read more and more about that. And I think we're all assuming serverless will become at least a key kind of runtime model for that will host application software. But the question always then is, what do I do with my data? How does that all link, right? Where does it live? And this is not just even a question of application architecture. It's also even practical questions about how much will it take me to connect to the data and how expensive is that, right, to carry the data back and forth? Yeah, right. So you mentioned a couple of things. So I think with serverless, definitely there is a trend of serverless is cool. We'd like to try it out. But but I think it's also about understanding which applications are suitable for it. Like, you know, we have bursty workloads. Uh, are, are there lots of processes that can be kind of remodeled as, it, as an event? And then data, yes, I agree. Still uh, a lot of challenges to do that pure kind of automatic conversion even about the data. And also when we talk about the data, while predominant focus around modernization in the context of hybrid cloud is the application itself, right? And, and data might be also forgotten from the fact that, hey, you, you also ought to refactor that database, right? Or what do you do with tens of thousands of databases that you might have in your portfolio? How can you refactor them or make them more optimized data stores that you have internally? In addition to the things that you mentioned about statefulness or statelessness, rather, but the other aspect is how much can we also automate in understanding the transactions and that as we try to refactor or re-architect, right, or rather define those targets, look into the transaction refactoring itself so that you don't, you don't end up with a split transactions, right? And, you know, one thing I keep saying, a poorly architected application is still a poorly architected application if it runs in the cloud, right? So there's no magic bullet. One example I keep bringing up is I looked at a commercial software in the insurance industry this was a couple of years ago, where there were two things that made it really hard. One is that it basically loaded the entire database into its heap and, and that made it fast, right? It basically avoided even talking to the database by essentially caching everything, but caching it in a, in a poor way, if you will. The other thing was that it had extremely long sessions in that once you were logged on to a single server instance, you were stuck with that instance all day. And that made it hard to scale, right? That made it hard to cluster this. That made it hard to then say, I'm going to have many, many of these, right? Or to be able to move things from one place to another, which especially when, see, my in my day job, I work a lot with Kubernetes and OpenShift. So there are the ideas that you have things running in containers. And containers are relatively 
temporary things. They can go away and then they pop up somewhere else very quickly. That all falls apart if I have an application, for example, that makes excessive use of its heat. But how do you find that? How do you even see that? Isn't it that you first you need to find out kind of what is the existing application architecture? How does it behave? so that you can basically see those gaps. Yeah, that's typically how the modernization journey start by assessing and understanding the current application infrastructure or rather application architecture, Not, but again, not limited to just the technical properties, but also understanding security and compliance and other sort of requirements around it, right? So that you can then figure out what would be your target state? How can you optimize? How can you ensure that the application does behave better in the cloud. So you're not just refactoring for the sake of refactoring and and then have poorer performing application. On the other hand, again, I do want to sort of, again, bring out the topic, you know, it is business driven, right? So it's really a business transformation to keep in mind as we are kind of breaking down these applications and looking into how, how to make them better, not just operate better and perform in cloud, but better fit within the target sort of business mission. Okay, that makes sense. If I looked at your job title, it says AI for application modernization. So I want to poke on that a little bit in terms of where does the AI come into all of this? Sure, a good question. So we, we looked into typical application modernization engagement to understand where might be some of the, let's say, gaps or frictions in the process, right? How to make it faster, how to simplify it and accelerate. And sort of a couple of uh, areas that we have identified where we are infusing AI into this process and which is where we are taking our research capabilities, whether to consulting assets or to the IBM products. One is the whole area around the advisory. This is, goes back to your question that clients have thousands of applications. Even before you kind of figure out which one to go after first, how can you do the first debt assessment of a kind of a typical six hour assessment? And while there are tools out there to help you, predominantly rule based tools, and a lot of it is also driven by a lot of experience and knowledge from the practitioners, these sort of systems don't uh, scale easily, especially if you're if you're considering a new technologies coming in, new new targets. So we looked into how to apply AI specifically to enable rapid containerization advisory. And some of the challenges within that process of, I think there are capabilities out there that can tell you, okay, you should containerize this, you should refactor, you should re-architect. But there were still some open questions in terms of, is this technically feasible or what is the complexity? And in addition to that, where we found that AI can play a good role is is data. So uh, in data, in a sense that often when these decisions are being made, you might have very limited data about the application. At best, you get some data from questionnaires describing each application on a very high level. Maybe maybe what are the different components, uh, what is app server, what is database server, and so on. But there is a quite a bit of a kind of back and forth that often goes in terms of refining that input, standardizing it. So we use AI to streamline and essentially enable reasoning with limited data to facilitate those decisions. So we first started with applying this to continuization scenarios and um, it, sort of it, this goes into two phases. The first one is where we you know, standardize the input against the very rich knowledge graph that we have built. And this is all today available in the conveyor.io community that we have launched together with Red Hat under Tackle Containerization Advisor. So not only it helps you with that standardization and, and reasoning around the application input, breaking it into components, but it also helps you provide recommendations how to map this to potentially, uh, let's say, containers in the OpenShift catalog. And, and the 
mechanism is actually expandable so you can add other catalogs as well. So that was one area. The second area, all around, you know, the next level. In the first phase, we were just looking into high-level descriptions of the applications, but now let's get, let's touch that code, right? So it's all about refactoring and re-architecting where we are looking into legacy applications, whether it's in Java or COBOL or any other language we have support also for .NET platform and so on, and looking into how to recommend. So there are a couple of different approaches we've taken, some of which are part of the IBM Monoto micro product that helps automate refactoring of Java workloads and also generates uh, the code for the, the microservices to start off. And the other parts support the re-architecting decisions as an IBM consulting asset uh, candidate microservices advisors. And this is where we are applying various techniques ranging from deep learning, hierarchical clustering to understand what are these business function meaningful candidates for microservices and that materialize themselves in, um, in these assets. Other areas where AI is being applied, we touched upon data. So looking into data modernization, looking into how can AI help modernization or mi- migration rather from a SQL to non-SQL or even understanding what should be you know, SQL, what should be non-SQL properties to move from on-prem to database as a service, looking into database refactoring and also uh, looking into, I think more of the uh, scientific also work in AI for code overall is looking into how do we do conversion, let's say from legacy language COBOL to maybe not so much legacy Java or even to something that's coming uh, as a next generation language. So those are some of the, the key areas. We also are looking into application of AI to replatforming. So if you if you look across six R's, uh, those are the key areas where we are focusing on with AI for code work. Okay. I feel like, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, so I've heard you mention basically three sources of information that, that then go into this process. One is just any kind of arbitrary information about what an application looks like. I've often talked to customers where I said, so can you can you tell me more about this application? And then there's a picture or a diagram of sort, which in almost all cases is no longer really accurate because it was drawn a long time ago and the application has taken on a life of its own. But, but they say, well, this this is kind of where we started. Then there's often spreadsheets that are just specking out all the virtual machines and servers that it runs on. And so, so, but it's a piece of information you start with as an inventory, right? Then there's code scanners, really, like in Java, or I have to know about, you know, Transformation Advisor is another tool that we have that looks at existing WebSphere environments. And it, so it can read the, the application configuration and it can read the, the code itself and it will point out things like, here's an API that was deprecated or is no longer supported and things like that. You're using an enterprise Java bean and you shouldn't do that. And here's the effort to refactor that and those kinds of things. But then there's a really interesting one also is that the third category is observing the application in action and seeing what it does, right? Because there's only so much you can read from the code. There's also where you maybe just have to look at it, right? I'm wondering if you would if you would agree with me. Is it like it's all three sources that kind of come together to build that kind of suggestion or a proposal as to what to do with an application. Yeah, no, indeed, that, that's how it goes. So typically in the advisor, you, may, you might start with those high level, right? Something that comes from questionnaires. If you're lucky enough to get server inventories or application inventories, perhaps there might be already some agent to deploy or there, there might be sort of willingness to deploy these things, right? So to get that more infrastructure point of view, which then gets often in the engagements 
combined with the input, as you mentioned, from Transformation Advisor, which actually also for the containerization itself helps also clients understand the complexity of that endeavor, right? By kind of understanding, kind of going through the checklist, where, where are sort of the gaps or what needs to be done. When you get even deeper into the code itself, right, beyond the binary scanning and the analysis of, for example, Transformation Advisor, the next step would be looking into a deeper source code analysis and understanding behaviorally at runtime what what is the communication between the different classes what gets called and in and, and in which context so that you can start in the case of for example refactoring identifying what would be the business function meaningful uh, candidates for microservices and then i think there's you know like through that whole continuous modernization journey there's a lot of going back to getting more information, let's say from Transformation Advisor, understanding what was the initial configuration now, how do I need to configure, can you advise me what would be configuration that I need for these target microservices? And you might be also adding new resources. So this is where uh, there is additional actually research being done around, we call this TCD tackle containerization, configuration and discovery and uh, recommendation. But yes, to, to a point, there are all these it's like peeling an onion. There are all these different levels of information that you have that you can use to make this position re- uh, recommendation. We're slowly out, running out of time here, but there's a couple of points I, I want to bring up before we let you go. One is, and you mentioned it, obviously, you're working in IBM research, right? I find that I've worked with researchers a lot. I've never been in research. I find that very intriguing in a way, I guess. We've had a researcher before on a previous episode, Tamar Elam, I, I'm sure you know her. And I asked her some of the same questions as in, like, what does it mean to do research, especially you're working for a commercial software vendor in this particular case, right? How do you figure out, okay, I'm researching, you want to be kind of on the edge of technology, but then ultimately, I guess the goal is to commercialize it in some form or shape, right? Can you describe a bit kind of how that goes in your day-to-day life? Sure. So I've been uh, actually my whole career at IBM Research, and it's been really exciting journey. So we really look into, you know, defining that future of computing at the intersection of AI, hybrid, cloud, and quantum. So, for example, in the case of AppMod, we try to look into kind of what are the what are the trends, what are we seeing out there to understand where do we envision us heading, right? But the, as you pointed out, it's it's sort of this marriage between the science and the technology that happens at at certain point, because we also look into how do we also, uh, at the same time, contribute to advances in the in the science field as well? So, for example, I've mentioned some of the work on Tackle Containerization Advisor, where we are applying AI to improve entity standardization and entity linking. And this is where we um, also use the opportunity to evaluate some of the latest AI technology in the real world lab, if you, if you, either, if, if you wish. To your second question, kind of how, how do these things come together to commercialize it's a joint effort between research and um, other business units such as consulting or IBM Soft uh, CNCS, where we jointly team up to sort of whether it's bootstrap an entirely new product or bring in the new you know, innovative capabilities to something that's already out there, right? It, I think being in research, what is also very interesting and exciting always to be to have the opportunities to test drive these technologies, you know, uh, often as part of the pilots or POCs with clients before they actually get commercialized so that we can have that continuous feedback as we are evolving capabilities. Very cool. Like I keep thinking one of these days, maybe I should see if I can come become a researcher of sorts. Final question before we let you go is, 
Uh, and I always ask that. It's kind of if you look at what you're doing right now, is is what what's what's a cool thing that you're working on right now? Kind of what it is that makes you want to get up in the morning and you can't wait to get to work. Can you any examples? Sure. So I think the hottest, most exciting thing would be looking into can and how can AI um, automate code conversion, regardless of what is the source and what is the target. I think that's kind of what is the most exciting thing. But And it is what is kind of this whole AI for code mission is very much underpinning all the different application modernization efforts that I spoke about. So that's that would be the key thing for me right now. All right, cool. Well, with that, I guess it's time to wrap up. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. Thanks so much for joining us today. Great. Thank you, Andre. It was a pleasure. And to all the listeners out there, thanks for joining us too. And uh, I hope to see you all soon. Bye-bye.